lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I am Derek Johnson here on KLWN. We've got a loaded show today. Michael Swain of Fog.net is going to join us in about 35 minutes from right now. We're going to start doing our college football season preview. It's week zero. We have some college football games over the weekend, so we're going to go through the conferences today. We're going to do some more national stuff tomorrow. we got the Heisman coming on Friday. Uh, Shane Jackson is going to join us later this week to break down some of the bets of college football, whether it's futures, win totals, Heisman betting, all that stuff. So that's exciting stuff. We also have two more editions of RCST Trivia today and a KU mailbag. If you want to get any last second questions in, you can hit me up at D Johnson Radio or the show account at RCST1320 on Twitter. DraftKings Sportsbook is coming to the Sunflower State. It won't be long. In fact, literally a week from tomorrow is when we have the soft opening until you can bet on your favorite sports from the comfort of your own home. To celebrate, all new customers will receive $100 in free bets when you sign up using code KLWN. Plus, one lucky customer will win a $100,000 free bet. Again, you just have to have signed up prior to... The betting launching. So you have a week left to sign up and get the free hundred dollars. Once the betting does open up, I've, I've had a few people uh, text me questions like, "Hey, I signed up. I used KL, code KLWN. I, I didn't see the hundred dollars in my account. They're going to put the hundred dollars in from what I've been told once betting opens up. So don't fret if you signed up and you're like, "Where's my money? It'll come uh, once the betting opens up." Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code KLWN to get $100 in free bets to use once mobile sports betting hits Kansas. Plus, one customer will win a $100,000 free bet. That's code KLWN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older. Physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings.com/sportsbook. Subject to regulatory licensing requirements one per customer $100 issued as $425 free bets no purchase necessary for sweepstakes void where prohibited ends first day DraftKings is allowed to operate in Kansas see terms at dkng.co slash ks so uh I, I was looking into you know the KU ceiling the KU floor and I was trying to put together in my head like you know if everything goes right if everything possible goes right what does it look like for KU versus if everything goes wrong what does it look like for KU? So maybe we'll do the wrong stuff tomorrow, and that'll be a more negative way of opening up the show. But let's be uh, let's be glass half full people here in this one. Feeling positive today? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, what would go into this being KU's top outcome season? That's realistic. I'm not talking like, you know, when I say realistic, you can't just be like, oh, Jalen Daniels is going to put up a video game season and throw 50 touchdown passes, and he's going to win the Heisman. Devin Neal's going to have 2,000 rushing yards. The defense is going to pitch five shutouts. Like, uh, being realistic about this stuff. Have you seen that KU account that tweets out like every day that KU is going nine and three? Yes, I have. <laughs> like, he's like, every single day, he's like, I'm, in all hey, caps, here's why. Respect for the optimism, man. He's that, I mean, 
respect yeah, for putting the work in to go through all that stuff, but no, that's not happening. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the name of the account, but but yeah, literally it's like, it, I see it like almost every day. He tweets out something again that's like, KU, here's why, 9-3. and three. And then it's a whole thread of just reasons why he thinks it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start with this. I think the ceiling is six. And that's like the, the ceiling of everything went right. Yeah. So, I mean, here are some of the things that would have to happen for you to kind of get to that ceiling and for that top outcome, top realistic outcome, I think, to happen. Jalen Daniels have to be a has to be a top half or top six QB in the Big 12. And it's certainly something that's opened up because, as we've talked about, like, you know, there aren't a bunch of quarterback positions that either, like, they're guys we just maybe don't know about yet because maybe they haven't started before, like the uh, Hunter, I forget what it is, like Deckers or something from Iowa State. Like, he seems very talented, but we haven't really seen him. Or Dylan Gabriel transferring over to Oklahoma. Uh, he put up good numbers at UCF. What's it going to look like at Oklahoma? Then you have guys who maybe return who had some flaws in their game but have shown potential at other times like Spencer Sanders or Max Duggan at TCU and I don't even know if Duggan's gonna win the starting job there so um it, it's kind of more open definitely coming into this year so it becomes more realistic but you know a couple weeks ago I was looking into total QBR and the quarterbacks who put together the top six seasons versus the guys who put together the bottom four and on average there was like a three or a four win difference in just big 12 games big 12 win total for those guys that were top six versus bottom four. Um, so I, I think that's where you have to start. For KU to hit their ceiling outcome, Jalen Daniels has to be a top half or top six quarterback in the Big 12. That makes a lot of sense because in modern football, the quarterback drives everything, right? Mm -hmm. Quarterback, You have to have competent quarterback play if your team is going to be successful. You just don't see – there's really no other path to being successful besides your quarterback has to be competent, right? But like you were mentioning – Jalen Daniels may not have to be that good to be a top-half quarterback in the Big 12. The Big 12 quarterback situation this year, there's uh, not a lot of bona fide guys, a lot of question marks for a lot of different teams. And so it, we're not even – I'm not even saying – you're not even saying that Jalen Daniels has to go out and, and be great. No. Right? Like he just has to be better than the other half of the league. And in a year where there's a lot of different guys coming in, a lot of new faces – that could be very doable for him. And it doesn't mean he has to throw for 25 touchdowns. He might have to only throw for 18 or 16, and that might be good enough for to, for him to be considered top half of the league. Yeah. And, and so, again, like if we're doing realistic, like I'm not going to say he needs to be the best quarterback in the Big 12. If he ends up yeah. being the best quarterback, then that's a whole other discussion. But, yeah, he has to be in that range for you to, to reach that amount of wins. The next thing is that the running backs have to be legit. Um I mean, you're talking about five guys you feel very confident in in that room, and there's obviously a lot of talent there is to a certain extent, like in, in the case of guys like Devin Neal and Kai Thomas, there is proven production that you had from them. But the way I, I think that we're almost viewing the running back group is that because they have these guys, they're going to be one of the, I don't know, top half rushing units in the Big 12. And what happens if if they're just solid and they're like the eighth best rushing unit in the Big 12, but that's supposed to be your strength? So I think to reach KU's realistic ceiling, the running backs have to be legit, like one of the best groups in the Big 12. So conversely to the quarterback discussion, mm -hmm. there's actually a number of really talented running backs and running back groups in the Big 12, mm -hmm. right? So to me, like to your point, like if KU's running backs are solid, that may not be 
uh, one of the elite running, rushing units in the Big 12 because there are other guys that are extremely talented. I mean, just I mean Deuce Vaughn, people are talking about him being a top 10 player in all of college football. And same with Bijan Robinson, right? I mean, Bijan Robinson, I think, is going to be a Heisman yeah. candidate, certainly uh, game one. So you look at those two teams. Texas Tech's got a couple of guys. There's there's good running backs in in the Big 12. And now Devin Neal, I think, also would probably fit into that category somehow. But But to me, this is the most important element of this list that you've created for what KU needs to be to be successful because if if this if this is true if the running backs are legit that is only going to serve to benefit the offensive line Jalen Daniels the quarterback and the receivers it, the, to me this is the pillar of KU's success is the running backs for those reasons because it's only going to serve to benefit everybody all the other position groups around them cer- certainly on the offensive side of the ball and and also I think most KU fans would probably agree the running back room is probably their best and strongest mm-hmm. unit out of any position group on their entire team. Yeah, right? so if, if your biggest strength is yes. just a, eh, it's yes. fine. That's exactly. not a great sign. Exactly. So so I think they definitely have to show up and perform in a big way. And really, it needs to be pretty quick because if the running back room takes a while to get going or they don't find success early, that's going to stunt everybody else, I think, early in the season. So not only is it important that this is – by far KU's best unit, because on paper it is, so it should be on the field. On top of that, I think it needs to be pretty quick out of the gate to build confidence in the rest of the offensive groups, Jalen Daniels and the offensive line and whatnot. So this is by far the most critical aspect of it, I think, for KU is. And they've got the, the thing is, they've got a number of guys, so maybe even if, even if Devin Neal or Kai Thomas isn't having a, a great day, right, they've got multiple guys. So... It, it doesn't necessarily have to be one guy. It doesn't necessarily have to be, oh, Devin Neal has to be an elite running back. It just needs to be, hey, we've got a solid stable of running backs that any given Saturday we're going to produce X number of yards rushing, whatever, yards per carry, whatever it may be. It doesn't necessarily have to be just Devin Neal or just Kai Thomas or whatever. It just needs to be collectively, these are guys that we can rely on to consistently carry the ball to strengthen the rest of the offensive unit. So, this is where it all starts for me is, is with the running backs because they are the best unit on paper coming into this season, and it needs to show on the field also. Yeah, last year KU was ninth in the Big 12, 139.5 rushing yards per game. West Virginia was the only team lower. Can they get up toward the middle tier of the Big 12, which is somewhere between like 170 and 180 rushing yards? If you can get to 200 rushing yards, that's that's probably too tall of a task to ask for, but that would be one of the top two numbers in the Big 12. Baylor led the the uh, conference in rushing yards per game at 215. I'm not saying they got to get to there, but can you get up you know, 30, 40 more rushing yards per game to be more of a uh, competent offense? The next thing for them to reach a realistic ceiling, offensive line has to stay healthy. We don't know how deep this offensive line unit is going to be. We'll talk kind of more about this with Michael Swain a little bit later in the show. Um, but the offensive line, the, the starters are certainly, there's probably a big drop-off to where those backups are, and then there's probably an even bigger drop-off to the third-string guys. Doesn't mean they couldn't be good at some point, but I think right now maybe those guys aren't ready yet. Because you don't have a lot of depth there, that line has to stay healthy. Yeah, this has not been a mystery that the offensive line, the starting five, it seems like the staff generally feels very confident in. Mm-hmm. But it's those six, seven, eight guys where you start to have some questions maybe. Certainly the staff seems like they have some questions, right? So, And, you again, you can't go into a season expecting not a single player to get hurt, right? That's just that's just not how it works. No. You're gonna have you're gonna have guys sustain injuries. It's the nature it's the nature of the beast. It's it's how football works, right? So from that standpoint, 
that's why you need depth, right? Mm-hmm. And the offensive line, for the time being, there definitely are some question marks there. And if they can stay healthy, which obviously we always hope that for, for health for all players, but if they can, that, that would definitely be a huge step forward. But but you're right, and you're right. Hopefully Michael Swain can give us some enlightenment on the Kobe Bain situation with him coming in and if, if he'll be able to play. But, but yeah, this is a – this is a, an interesting one because it's. I feel like the rest of the ones on this list are ones that KU can maybe control a little bit or they can control a little more. But the injury question is always one of let's just hope, right? <laughs> so you're just basically hoping on this one. There's not really a whole, a whole lot more that can go into it besides trying to add more depth on the defensive on the offensive line, which it seems like KU has tried to do, and that's just what it's going to be. So hopefully those guys can stay healthy, but if not you got to be prepared with, with guys that can step in and take over those roles. And, and right now, maybe the offensive line, certainly in the, on the offensive side of the ball, that might be the biggest question mark in terms of guys that can step into roles in case of injury. The way I view um, the receiver group for the realistic ceiling here is that somebody doesn't have to have like a Desmond Briscoe season. You just have to get enough there. I don't really know what that means, but it's just <laughs> like you just need enough. You just need to do it. Just, just do your thing, man. Um, but yeah, like the, they just have to be good enough. Uh, again, like it's such a vague way of putting it, but I was, there's just a lot of unproven commodities there. I, I would say this. I think what you look for for a receiver group is can you pick up those third and medium to third and long situations, like third and six, third and seven plus. Can can you have receivers that are going to be go to guys that can get open and make plays in that situation? That, to me, would maybe be a more tangible way of expressing, like, this is what the wide receiver room needs to do. Because I think at the end of the day, you, you probably agree. In terms of, like, receiving touchdowns, yards, whatever, I don't really think none of that necessarily matters. Like, we're not going to sit here and say, well, the wide receiver group had X number of yards, so therefore it was a success for them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it really comes more down to, I think, for these guys, and that goes along with Jalen Daniels obviously being able to execute on third down, but... Can you get those third down and made him to third down in long situations? Because if KU is going to rely on the run game as much as we kind of anticipate they might early in the year, what do they do when they're in that third down and long situation? What do they do when it's a you know when it's a third and three and there's a false start or something or whatever, right? And they're backed up. Who do they go to and can they convert those? That might be a better tangible way of 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 kind of gauging the success or the failure of the wide mm-hmm. receiver room is can they can they make those plays when when when, when called upon, right? Yeah, I, I think that's probably the best way of putting it, like you said, because that's what you're missing with Kwame Lasser. Yeah. Uh, maybe the, the depth of tight ends helps minimize the idea there and, and the fact that the running backs are that good. So that's why I don't think I have like a super high bar here for what a realistic ceiling could be. Um, the next thing is that I, I think Lonnie Phelps needs to be kind of a star on the defensive line, and there have to be other breakouts there, which it seems like, there might be. We, we've heard a lot about guys like Caleb Taylor, Caleb Sampson so far coming into the, the uh, start of the season. Uh, but it becomes a lot more difficult if you start from a standpoint of saying, hey, we need to be so much better on defense. Oh, no, we lost the best player in our front seven. If Lonnie Phelps is a star and he gives you the same type of production, if not better production than what you got with Kyron Johnson – then even an area where you could have taken a step back, if you're taking a step forward and everywhere else you're taking steps forward, all of a sudden that turns into, of course, the defense is going to be better. Yeah, when you look at the different levels of the defense for KU, I think you've got Kenny Logan in the secondary as your kind of anchor guy. You've got some other guys in the secondary also. The linebacker situation, you've got a lot of new faces, but 
I think generally the expectation is those guys are going to slot in pretty well. And you also still have guys like Rich Miller coming back. And then you look at the D-line, and it's Lonnie Phelps, right? And so maybe that is the biggest question is can he come in and have an impact right away? Because the other two position groups, defensive backs and linebackers, feel like they're maybe pretty in a better position, I think, overall. But you obviously need to get a pass rush. You're playing in the Big 12. You know your teams are going to throw the ball against you. And that that is going to be a real question. And you're right, losing Kyron Johnson, but then but the, is just simply replacing him with the exact same production, is that good enough? In your I think eyes? it is, yeah. If he just comes in and does exactly what Kyron Johnson Yeah, does. because if you just set – I think, like, if you just isolate that position out of the equation here, the other 10 starting spots and the depth on the defense are better this year than they were last year. So if you're just getting the same thing from that one spot, it should make the defense better. Okay, okay. But, I mean, if, if he gets better, then – now, <laughs> what are we talking about, right? Um, then that's an even bigger boon to the defense. Yep. The next part of this defensively is the linebackers mesh well and they're able to click with the new scheme or the new playbook for a lot of the guys who are newcomers. And I, I think that they'll take a step forward. It's just how big of a step forward will this be? So for them to hit the realistic ceiling, it has to be a large step because there was such a big gap between them and maybe the next best Big 12 unit at the linebacker position that they could take a step forward this year and still be the worst in the Big 12. Like That's how large that gap was last season. So they need to take a sizable gap or, or, or a sizable step forward to minimize that gap if they do want to have a chance at, at hitting that realistic ceiling. Craig Young, Big 12, first team? I am a big Craig Young guy. Okay. So yeah. I don't know if I'm going to go first team because like it's it's really hard to make the first team. But like if you told me Craig Young's going to be on some All Big Twelve team, like first, second, or third, I can get on board with that. And we've heard from different people saying Lorenzo McCaskill might not be a guy that is slotted in game one, mm-hmm. but somebody who's kind of expected to become a more of a contributor throughout the season. So you figure Rich Miller is going to be in there. Gavin Potter is kind of an interesting one. Uh, he's I feel like. A lot of people probably have a love-hate relationship with with Gavin Potter over the course of his KU career, um, but I think he was one of the top tacklers on the team right last year, right in terms of tackles. Yes, he was. So, what kind of impact will he have? Obviously, there's a lot more guys coming in to challenge his position at the linebacker at the linebacker room. But what what's his role going to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 really tough to figure out what everyone's going to do and and who's going to play the majority of the time. But at the end of the day, the group as a whole. That needs to kind of make that big jump if you're going to hit your realistic ceiling. Uh, I think from a secondary perspective, like the newcomers have to really bolster the secondary. You look at the veterans who are coming in, they have to stabilize things and they have to really help the young guys take that step to that next level where they can be better. Um, But I think the secondary, like, I don't know, they just can't be a disaster. Like if you're going to hit your ceiling... (laughs) This could be just like a below average or fine secondary. As long as they're not just an utter disaster where you're giving up like all these long balls and explosive plays, you can hit your ceiling based on those other things happening. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, like like I said earlier, you have Kenny Logan to kind of anchor anchor the situation. You got Marvin Grant. uh, You got some other guys coming in that, that on paper should have more talent. Will it necessarily translate to better play right away? That's kind of to be determined, and the rest situation for KU is, and obviously we know this, they have 11 Power 5, or they have 11 uh, or, Power 5 games, yeah, basically, Power 5 yeah. games on their, on their schedule with Houston joining the Big 12. So 
when you look at it from that standpoint, they really only have one game to kind of maybe try to iron out some kinks or figure it out against Tennessee Tech, right? Because then they're going to go straight into West Virginia, straight into Houston, straight into Duke. So there's really – it's maybe if they had a, a couple – you know, another Sunbelt team that wasn't Coastal Carolina <laughs> on their schedule, maybe they might have a couple more games to, to make mistakes to try to figure things out. But it's going to be really game one Tennessee Tech and then right into it, right, with West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So it's going to have to be – Things are going to have to probably gel pretty quickly for these guys early in the season. And like we talked about it before, I mean, most of KU's what you would describe as winnable games, or if you were to look at like the FPI index probably, most of the games that KU would have a better chance to win are early in their schedule, right? So then it becomes even more important that those guys kind of come together, especially with some of the newcomers on the defense, to, to bring it together early and establish themselves as not the worst defense in the Big 12. Yeah. So if all that stuff happens and they're able to hit all those goals and and get to the ceiling of a realistic outcome here, how many wins do you think that totals up to? I think four because I'm I understand they have Lance Leipold. So you think if all that goes right, it's still Listen, just four? I understand they have Lance Leipold. We've talked about this. KU over the last since the Mangino era, in those quote unquote fifty fifty games, they don't win. They don't win. Period. They don't they don't win those 50-50 games. So from that standpoint, I'm willing to give them one or two of those. So I think they'll if if all those things hit that we just talked about, they're gonna be in a lot of games. But I don't think they're gonna win a lot of them. So I'm gonna say four. See, I think if all that goes right, I would take five or six. Uh, the the I guess caveat I would need to push it from five to six would be that they're going to have a, a really good turnover luck season. They're going to have a really high positive turnover differential. If you told me that's not the case, then I would go with five. But again, I think this is the realistic ceiling. Like I, well, I, I'm going to pick the. I don't know. We'll pick the schedule next week. But um, I, I think okay. from a ceiling perspective, I, I think five or six is the answer there. Uh, real quick before we go to break here, I did want to make mention of this. Um, kind of some somber news here. Len Dawson. The former Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, Super Bowl champion from the 1970 Super Bowl 1969 season, passed away. Um, obviously meant a lot to the Kansas City Chiefs organization. He wasn't just a Chiefs player. He was also, and this is literally while he was playing for the Chiefs, he would go on the news and he was doing the, you know, he was doing practice in the morning and then he was doing uh, sports reporter in the afternoon on on the local TV station and obviously continued on with the media side of things, was on the Chiefs radio network for the longest time with Mitch Holthus and uh, whatnot. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I never got to see Len Dawson play live, but one of the best Chiefs quarterbacks of all time. And uh, certainly he'll be missed and was known as, as a really great dude and everything. So uh, just, just sad news um, in the world of, of the Chiefs. I would imagine they're going to, I, I don't know. I, I could see him playing with like a 16 patch or something like that on their jersey. I think that'd be kind of a cool tribute to Len Dawson. We're going to take a time out here. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is KLWN, depending on it. Joined now by Michael Swain. You can check out all his work at fog.net, 24-7 sports. Subscribe before the start of the season. Kobe Baines is the newest Jayhawk uh, member of the offensive line comes over from Louisville. 
Obviously, if he's on the two deep for Louisville, I would imagine he'd be on the two deep for KU, but there's a waiver question in there if he's going to be eligible and all that stuff. What what do you view Baines' fit for the KU offensive line, and do you think he will get that waiver right away? Waiver, you know, really, who knows? It's going to come down to basically does Louisville sign off on it. That's how these kind of, you know, it's called like a runoff waiver. It's how these things work, and so they're going to go through that process and We'll have to see how that plays out. I think it's kind of a coin flip of whether they'll do it or not. As for the fit, I think it's perfect. Um, even if he can't play this year, because you look at, first of all, you look at the skill set that he has six foot four, 300 pounds. He came into college, people thinking he was going to be a guard. He showed enough athleticism to play right tackle um, at Louisville and, like you mentioned, be on the depth chart. So I think that's huge. And this is the type of guy that would not pick Kansas coming out of high school and probably wouldn't have picked Kansas if he waited until December because a lot more programs would have come in on him. And this is a really good example of KU taking advantage of an opportunity here scholarship-wise. So they're getting a really good player, first of all. And I think for me, the question I have is long-term, is he going to play tackle or is he going to play guard? Because you've seen other players come in from other programs. You think of someone like DeAndre Dwarn from Buffalo. You think about you know someone like Dominic Cooney from Central Missouri. Both of those guys played tackle. At the previous school, and yet now at KU, Dwarren's playing center. Um, Pooney's playing a lot more guard. He might even start at guard this year. We'll see. Um, and so I have a question of like, where is he going to play? I think he's got the athleticism to play either spot. Obviously, you look ahead to next year. Earl Bosick's not going to be around. Does this mean he may be a, a candidate to be a tackle and move some of the left tackle? I don't know. There's a lot of questions here that I'll be interested to get kind of you know Lance Apple's opinion on. But I think overall, it's a really really big addition, and he does fit what Key's looking for in the offensive line. Does this at all signal the staff not being happy with how that backup offensive line is shaping up? We knew that was going to be a big position battle. Is it just something where, obviously, you're going to take as much talent as you can, especially at that position, add more depth if you're KU, or is it a little bit of both? Well, I don't think it's been any secret that KU has not liked the depth of the offensive line. The, the staff has been pretty clear about that going back even to the springtime. You know, the messaging has always really been, hey, we like our five, but you know, six through 10, we really don't know. And so now they have a good idea of who six and seven are with, you know, Pooney and full or uh, Pooney and uh, Dwarren. And then now you're looking at another guy coming in and probably being able, if he's able to play this year, providing some depth at tackles. So then you've got your backup center for this year in Dwarren, and then you've got your backup guard, so to speak. He might start again, Pooney, and then you've got someone at tackle like Baines. So I think overall, it's just the staff looking to improve the roster um, in as many ways that it can. And I think it's just a really impressive move to be able to get this done so quickly because um, obviously he had other Power 5 offers. So I think he did a really good job here. And I think that it it falls in line with what the staff has said publicly, which is that they need to add more good offensive linemen to this team, and that's what they've done. Baines isn't the only player who KU's kind of in on on the portal right now. What's the latest there with Marcus Clark? Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, I posted some stuff on the VIP board earlier today. Um, the Miami defensive back is here talking about Marcus Clark. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. KU's in on that one. Um, the, you know, another one of these situations where, you know, he's trying to get to a new school before uh, enrollment ends. And for KU, enrollment ends September 12th. So I think if you see other players enter the transfer portal between now and, you know, September 11th, I think KU's going to take a look at him and try and get him on campus because. Um, that 12th date is when kind of you get the final date to enroll and get a petition. And there's reason to believe that, hey, if a good football player wants to come to Kansas and they need a petition, I think Kansas will sign off on it. So 
Um, yeah, we'll see with Marcus Clark. Obviously, you know, I think he's going to want to make a decision here pretty soon without taking a visit, too, which I think is always always interesting, being a Florida kid, too. So we'll see. You just wrote a piece at Fog.net on Dominic Pooney, um, making that transition from the D2 level. By all accounts, sounds like he's been pretty impressive so far, and obviously, as we were just talking about, like they need that line depth there. I don't know. Where's your confidence level on on what he could be for this team? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, I got to go back to what Lance Leipold said when I asked Leipold about him uh, maybe last Saturday. The days are blending together this time of year, but um, he said he exceeded expectations and that KU knew they were getting a good football player, but that Pooney has gone above and beyond in what he's shown. And I think the versatility is a really big thing. He started out camp playing a lot of right tackle, um, working with the twos. And then as time has gone on, he's played some guard, and now he's kind of in a position battle fighting for one of the starting spots. You know, Armaje Reed Adams is hurt. Um, I, I don't know if he's been back at practice this week. We'll have to see what Lance Leifold wants to say publicly. But but then also you got someone like Michael Ford, right, who's a redshirt sophomore, and, you know, maybe Pony's pushing him as well. So I think that he's really – you're looking at heading into camp. You kind of thought who the five were going to be. And I think Pony is really – pushing the issue here and making it a tougher decision than I think a lot of us expected when camp starts. So surpassed expectations. He has versatility in what he can do. And, you know, if he does play, I mean, that's another big body, you know, over 300 pounds that can play on the interior there, which I think is a really big deal for KU. Let's say for the sake of this question, I'm going to ask that Baines is immediately eligible and, and able to be a part of this group. Although I don't know if, uh, I don't know how it works with, you know him being so late in camp if if he would even be on the two deep for the first couple weeks maybe it would take a while but if Baines is immediately eligible who would you view right now as the backup offensive lineman um backup at tackle uh just back up across the board oh okay um yeah so I think that obviously you go with Dre Dwarren and Pooney uh being two of them I think Kendrick Stearns has worked out with the twos um and then kind of the tackle, and again, that's kind of the issue. You're looking at true freshmen, right? James Livingston and, and Joey Baker probably being the tackles. So I think that someone like this, you know, Lance Apple's made it very clear your players have to come in and earn spots on the two deep. I don't know if you'd see Baines on the two deep in week one, but I think it's the type of deal where the adaptation process wouldn't be too bad for him. Obviously, Louisville runs some outside zone scheme stuff, the same thing as KU does. You know, maybe there's some different um, intricacies of the technique and, and the different terminology there, but the adaptation process will be pretty smooth. So I think he would be one of those backups at tackle, even if, you know, first week or two, he maybe wouldn't be listed on the depth chart. Is there a player that you think uh, might be the biggest surprise whenever we, we see the first two deep that comes out where it's going to be like, oh, I guess that guy did that, whether it's a positive or negative that uh, you're curious to see? Yeah, I think the fan discourse around Gavin Potter will be interesting to see. Um, I think he's one of those that, you know, I don't know if he starts, but I think he's going to play early on while someone like Lorenzo McCaskill gets acclimated. Um, I think he'll be on the two deep. I think that's, you know, feel pretty good about that. Um, That's one. I think positively, you know, Quentin Skinner, let's go with him because I think that he's someone that was obviously put on scholarship over the offseason, played a lot of special teams last year, but in a wide receiver room that has a lot of question marks, He's someone that continues to get rave reviews. People you talk to publicly, you know, Lance Eiffel, Terrence Samuel, but even behind the scenes, it sounds like he's someone that is turning heads as well. I think he's someone positively that will be on there. And I'll plug another story I wrote about Caleb Taylor. Um, I think he'll be on the 2D. You look at a 
a veteran-laden defensive tackles group, and you got someone there like Caleb Taylor who put on the most weight of any player this offseason, right? Over 45 pounds has flashed during fall camp, and I think will be one of those guys that's competing for snaps there on the two-deep as well, which I think up and down you're seeing some of these younger players really push those older guys for spots, whether it be on the two-deep, whether it be starting jobs. I think overall it's just super healthy for the program. Yeah, when when you look at those young guys pushing like you're talking about and adding on the guys like Lorenzo McCaskill and whatnot and Baines that, you know, maybe uh, aren't going to be starters right away. Does it almost feel like the depth chart that we're going to see by, I don't know, week seven, week eight is going to be totally different in certain regards than what we see in week one? Yeah, I think it'll be a lot different. And I think you're going to see a lot of fluctuation week to week because so many of these position battles are so tight. I think you can look at wide receiver and even defensive tackle may being really good examples of that, where I think the guys that start in week one may not even be the guys that produce the most or play the most snaps over the course of the season. I think that you look at a lot of these spots, like you mentioned Lorenzo McCaskill earlier, you know, he's someone that isn't going to start week one, but you hope that probably by the time week seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 and on comes around, that he's a guy that's playing a ton of snaps for you at linebacker. So I think it's one of those things where obviously injuries will play a part and the attrition uh, over the course of the season will play a part in that. But he's in a spot here where you feel good about the starters that you have at just about every spot. But some of that depth is really kind of pushing those players to where, you know, you can go kind of too deep at some spots and, and feel okay about it. So I, I do think that the depth chart you see week one will be a little bit different than the guys that are playing the most, you know, when midseason comes around and after the bye week and all that. And I think, again, I just, it's really good for the program because I don't think it's been like that in, in a long time. All right, I've got some uh, either-ors for you, Michael, as we're joined by Michael Swain, 24-7 Sports, Fog.net here. More MJ Rice minutes played. So just to give you some quick math here, because uh, I don't want you to have to be sitting there being like, ah, tally up, you know, carry the one. Uh, it, just if he plays like, I don't know, 25 minutes a game, over 35 games, that's 875. So if you think he's going to play more than 25 a game, then you can go up from that. If you think it's going to be less, then you can go down for that. But that number, 25 minutes a game, 35 games, 875. So more MJ Rice minutes or... Tory Lachlan plus Daniel Highshaw plus Savion Morrison total yards. Ooh, I like this one. Um, are we rushing yards or all purpose? Um, I will give you yards from scrimmage, so you can't count like kick return yards. Oh, okay, that, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, yeah, give me those three. Um, I think that week to week there are going to be so many different guys that are able to impact the team, and I think the KU's going to get really creative using players like. Sevion Morrison, uh, you know, I think obviously he's going to get some snaps of running back, but I think this is something where you might see him in the slot a little bit. I think that's something that Morrison's talked about when we've talked to him in the media. And, you know, Andy Kornick, he said they're not going to rule anything out. So I do think, you know, between those three, you know, could Daniel Hyshaw rush for, you know, 350 yards over the course of a year? Yeah. Could Tory Lachlan get 250 over the course of a year? Yeah. And could Sevion Morrison get 250, 300 in there, whether it be, you know, passing or rushing? Yeah, I think so. So I, I think those three together could combine for 900. Um, and maybe that's a little off, but I'm high on a high shot. And I think that the staff is going to get really creative with how they're going to use those guys. What odds would I have to give you, just a quick aside here, uh, for Daniel Highshaw to lead the team in rushing? Like, if I gave you 5-1 to one odds, is that still too short? 
Yeah, that's still too short. Uh, ten, to ten to one. Okay, I, I think that's probably where I'm at. You know, it's just one of those deals where the guys ahead of him are like Daniel Hyshaw is talented, and he could go in and contribute at a lot of Big Twelve programs right now. The issue is the face of the program, Devin Neal, is your lead running back, and then you got a guy in Kaya. So it's just more of a question of are those opportunities going to be there for him as much as they are for the first two. Okay, next either or. More sacks for Lonnie Phelps plus Caleb Taylor plus Caleb Sampson or three-point makes from Bobby Pettiford this season? Didn't make any last year. Oh, yeah, give me the sacks. Give me the sacks. Um, I'm sorry with Bobby Pettiford. Um, We obviously haven't talked to Bill Self in a while, but really curious to see what he says about Bobby Pettiford's health because over the summer it was still a lingering issue, right? The core problem that he had. Uh, last year. So that's one of those I'm skeptical about. Also skeptical about the shooting. You mentioned he didn't make one last year. Not great. Um, as for the sack numbers, you know, I think Caleb Sanders is going to have a great year. I- I'm really bullish on that. I know he missed some practice last week, but I think you, you listen, and for him getting this year where he's developed now, where he played more of a you know defensive end during the three-man scheme, but he's gotten bigger, he's gotten more comfortable with this four-man front now, I think he's going to have uh, a good amount of sacks. I don't know if he's going to be like 9-10, but I think he could have maybe five or six. And Lonnie Phelps, I think you won't, you'd expect to have maybe 9-10-ish, right? That's about what he did in Miami, Ohio last year. So, um, yeah, give me those guys. I'm just a little skeptical with Bobby Pettiford at this moment in time. But maybe that answer changes in November. But then I'll I'll know all the sack numbers too. So maybe that's yeah. the purpose. Yeah, maybe I'll circle back to that one. Um, okay, uh, last one I got for you. <laughs> this is interesting. More all Big Twelve selections. So I'm giving you first, second, third team. I'm even giving you honorable mention for KU basketball or KU football. I know it sounds like, of course, the KU basketball are going to have more awards, but you're playing the numbers game with football. Yeah, 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 yeah. Give, give me KU football. Um, honorable mention is such a joke mm-hmm. in the Big Twelve because all you need <laughs> all you need is one uh, coach to give you a, a vote. And so, yeah, um, I, I think there'll be a bunch that get honorable mention because the thing about football that I love and I think it's so funny is the coaches will pick the guy that killed them that week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about that Iowa State season that I covered. Like they had twenty maybe guys total make all big 12 and a bunch of them were just like, Hey, this got a really good game against Texas tech. I'm pretty <laughs> sure the old Texas tech coach gave him an honorable mention because he killed him one week. So yeah, give me that. I think he has enough talented guys that week in and week out could have a really big game, two games to where a coach is like, yeah, that guy deserves to have at least one vote. If I changed it to, you have all four of those, including honorable mention for basketball versus football, just being first, second and third, would that be a little closer? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be a lot closer because that, that's a lot harder of a criteria to meet rather than just one coach saying, eh, I'll just give this guy a vote. Yeah. He is Michael Swain. Again, you can check out all his work at fog.net and in 24-7 sports. Go subscribe before the season starts up. Michael, appreciate the time as always, man. That was Michael Swain, fog.net, 24-7 sports. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go with Nick Springer, Derek Johnson. We'll be back after this timeout. We've got a KU mailbag coming up. We've got trivia in the 4 o'clock hour and some more previews of the conferences in college football. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I am Derek Johnson. We have our KU mailbag coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, a couple RCST trivia 
matchups coming up in just a little bit here, but we're going to continue on with our college football season previews. Look at the different conferences. We did the ACC to begin the show. We're going to get to the Big 12 now. And I definitely think it has been brought up many times by us in in talking about Jalen Daniels. I don't know how this couldn't be one of the big headlines is the lack of returning quarterback talent in the conference. But then it's it's funny because you look at the running back position and that is just complete overhaul. Like that is an insane amount of talent that you have at the running back position. Um, so what are kind of your thoughts on on the Big 12 and, and who are some of the teams you like? I feel like the Big 12 is, is kind of wide open coming into this season. I think there's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of teams that are changing a lot of different things. Obviously, Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma. Baylor's starting quarterback. Bohannon transferred. Uh, also over the offseason, you got Texas, who, again, is, as always, it's the age-old question. Uh, you know, it's mm, like... Dare to ask it? <laughs> it's like at this point, you know, it's like it's like the Greek philosopher sitting around and it's like, ah, the, the question, is Texas back? <laughs> you know, so you got that. Aristotle's opinion <laughs> on that. You got that. You got Oklahoma State, who last year had a dominant defense. Spencer Sanders is kind of... Wishy-washy, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people kind of whatever thoughts on him, but sh could they be good? Baylor, actually, for the first time in Big 12 history, they were picked in the preseason poll to win. It's never happened before. Baylor never wow. picked. Wow. That's weird because they've first. had some really good teams, especially in recent memory. Never picked to finish first. Oklahoma had been picked to finish first the last six seasons, and now it's Baylor. But anyways, back to what I was saying is I, I feel like it's pretty wide open. I feel like there's a lot of teams that probably – are in a position where they think they, if they get hot at the right time, they could make a run at this thing. Baylor obviously was picked first. You got Oklahoma, who you know, new head coach, no Lincoln Riley, no Caleb Williams, but yet do have Dillian Gabriel. So you figure Oklahoma is going to be good, but are they going to be eleven and one, mm -hmm. ten and two good? Are they going to be playoff good? Yeah, exactly. Are they going to be that level of Oklahoma, or are they going to be more in the nine and three, eight and four range, and maybe look a little bit susceptible in some games? And then Oklahoma State. Then you got the Texas question. And then Kansas State, obviously, is a team that they're always a nuisance. <laughs> they're just always a team that is, is going to be in the mix in some regard. And Kevin Flaherty came on yesterday again and, and said that he thought if K-State goes in and beats Oklahoma in late September, they're going to be in potentially the driver's seat to control their own destiny to try to make the Big 12 championship game. So if Kansas State to worry about. And then in the bottom half of the conference, you got Iowa State, who you figure is going to take a step back probably with no Brock Purdy. TCU, a lot of question marks there. West Virginia has JT Daniels. Is he going to be good? Is he going to be bad? That kind of, I think, is what will determine whether or not West Virginia ends up being a decent team. And Texas Tech, they have Texas Tech has a couple good running backs. I don't really know what else they have beyond that. And then, of course, Kansas, who was picked to finish last. But we're optimistic. They might do a little better, <laughs> you know. So the, I think there is still a lot of question marks throughout the Big 12, and, and, it, and it does feel pretty wide open. I mean, I think you look at – the top five teams in the preseason poll, Baylor, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, Kansas State, I think all five of those teams probably feel like they have a decent shot at potentially making the Big 12 championship game. So when you look at it from that standpoint, there's a lot of good teams that could make a run. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way of putting it. It, like you said earlier, is just so wide open. I, I view the ACC, like just a little call back to that, like realistically, I think you could probably tell me if you could give me three picks, maybe four, if I'd want to include Pittsburgh, I feel like it would be one of those four to win the conference. The Big 12 is obviously a smaller conference. There's 10, the ACC, it's, it's I think 14. it's 14 now, right? Yeah, yeah 14. okay. 
So if you gave me and just like prorated it, you only gave me, if you're giving me four in the ACC, I get three in the Big 12. I still wouldn't be that confident that I'm going to pick the champ. Because even if I was like, give me Oklahoma, Baylor, and Oklahoma State, it's like, uh, but what happens if if Texas actually does hit? What if the you know, what if the talent is actually there? What if Kansas State like does have that season? I I still am not like discounting Iowa State. Like okay, I think it'd be silly to do so. I I understand the idea that yeah they had all this hype and idea of how good they were going to be last season and they disappointed. They only won seven games, but it's like okay for that program seven games was still a lot. And and sometimes like okay perfect example like you look at KU. Uh, you still had Todd Reese, Desmond Briscoe, and Kerry Meyer, 2008 to 2009. One team won eight games, one team won five. Sometimes things get a little stale. I wonder if if they could be helped by that. And, and they've been, I know Kevin Flaherty's brought this up several times, that like they've been recruiting at a really high level, not like to the level of where they're popping up in top 10 recruiting rankings where they're going to get super noticed, but that they've they found a lot of fits there. They seem to like the quarterback. Like I, I view them as a dark horse as well. I, okay. I think legitimately any of the top six teams – in, in those Big 12 preseason rankings, Oklahoma, Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, K-State, I think any of those six teams could play for a Big 12 title, and I would not be shocked. If JT Daniels is just insane, is West Virginia mm. collectively good enough to get into that conversation? Yeah, I guess. Just, if he just turns out to be like Geno Smith, West right. Virginia type, just incredible. Yeah, like Geno Smith, Will Greer. Um, yeah, yeah. How far, to how me, far, he would how have high? to be like a Heisman candidate. Like, that's how good he would have to be. Okay. Which I guess is possible. He's it's like a former yeah. five-star recruit, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So I guess from that standpoint, because West Virginia did have a top 25 defense last year. Defense should be good once again this year. You lose Letty Brown at running back, so that's going to be hurt him a little bit. They still have some talented runners there, though. So, yeah, if you if you told me JT Daniels ends up being the best quarterback in the Big 12 or the second-best quarterback, then, yes, I could buy them winning eight, nine games and possibly being the Big 12 title. And that's kind of where I'm at with this. Like, the Big 12, I'm not sure – that any team is no, actually, I feel very good. I don't think any team is going to make the playoff. Like I, I feel very good about that. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I think because I think if anything, they're just going to beat up on each other. Exactly. You're like, gonna have, you're gonna have a bunch of nine and three and eight and four teams. Yeah, I I think that yeah, you're gonna have like I wouldn't be surprised if both teams in the Big Twelve title. It's like for just Big Twelve record, you're like seven and two versus six and three, or even like two six and three teams against each other. Like that wouldn't completely shock me. So I. <laughs> If I'm looking at like who I like the most, I guess for dark horses, I, I feel like K State is the very popular pick. So just to be a little different, I'll say K State or Iowa State. Texas is the team with the biggest variance to me. If you told me they disappoint again and only win six, I would believe it. If you told me that the talent hits and they win nine, I would believe it. You know what I mean? Um, Oklahoma, Brent Venables is such a good defensive coordinator that it makes me think he'll get that figured out, but he has a very complicated scheme. So I wonder if it's going to take some time. I do really like Dylan Gabriel. I, I think he was super underrated at UCF. He's obviously got really good talent around him. I'm still going to run up the Oklahoma well as as they're my pick to, to win it all. I think Baylor's the team that takes kind of a step back. Like They're one of those teams who last year was such a magical season, and they have so much back. I think they're still going to be a really good football team. They'll be a top 25 team. But when you have some of those magical seasons, and a lot of times in the Big 12, the teams who are separated one through four, in this case, one through six, are not that big. And so a lot of times what can determine the special season versus just the Iowa State season last year where it's a bit disappointing is those close games where it just happens to go your way. Like, remember the Iowa State-Baylor game? Perfect example. It was a weird game that Baylor ends up making like a stop on a two-point conversion from Iowa State. If Iowa State converts that two-point conversion – 
we're not having as much of these conversations with Baylor. Iowa State still has an eight-win team at that point. Um, or you go down and you look at how Baylor won the Big 12 championship against Oklahoma State. They feel like the team to me that's still going to be good, but they're only going to win like eight games or something, and they're not going to have some of those 50-50 calls go their way. And then Oklahoma State is the team that had such a legendary defense last year. A lot of those guys are gone. They, the reason it was so good is because the COVID year, they had a bunch of 23, 24-year-olds there. And with all those guys gone and me not really trusting the quarterback with Spencer Sanders, I think I'm leaning toward, I, I hate to do this. I'm going to go Oklahoma-Texas in the Big 12 title game. Interesting. I'm going to go Oklahoma wins it, though. You may have seen uh, today Stuart Mandel. Yeah. He put out his Big 12 prediction, and he picked K-State to go 10-2 and two and win the Big 12 title. And I don't think it's that crazy. Yeah, he picked K-State. He had Oklahoma going like 8-4. and four. Really, what was crazy about that one, though, is in his prediction, he has Texas going 4-8 and eight and Kansas okay. going 4-8 and eight and finishing <laughs> above Texas. So in the rankings, it's well, I think it was Texas Tech at the bottom, Texas 9, and KU 8 at 4-8 and eight over Texas. I think that's all a little rich for me. I okay, like I said, I could see K State playing in the Big Twelve title, winning the Big Twelve. I'm not sure I see them going ten and two. Like I could see a nine and three or an eight and four with the right mix of Big Twelve wins. Yeah, it really, it really does feel like you're gonna have. Do we really think Texas is gonna be worse than last year? Like I can understand them not hitting the the insane hype that they always get. The is it are they back conversation, but four wins? I don't know about that. You know, but I I think. To harken back to what you were talking about earlier, it, it does feel like you're going to have four or five teams that are mm-hmm. eight and four, yeah. seven and five. So for the for the playoff conversation, obviously it's dead already right there. But then it comes down to your head-to-head matchups and those those close games like you were talking about. Is I I think you're right. Normally it would be Oklahoma head and shoulders by everybody else. You knew they were going to be in the Big Twelve title game, and then it became a question of who was going to who they were going to play against. Mm-hmm. Well, this year, with Oklahoma being, I don't I don't think down is the right term, or just maybe I mean, it is compared to... A chink in the armor, I guess, yeah, yeah. or something, where maybe they're not as dominant. So now you have this situation where you could have three or four or five teams that are 9-3, and 8-4. and four. I guess you wouldn't have three or four teams that would be 9-3. Mm-hmm. They'd have to be like one team 9-3 and three and a three or four 8-4 and four teams. But, yeah, I think that opens it up. And... Yeah, you're right. K-State does seem to be like the sort of flashy dark horse pick. That's what's weird. Seems like like everybody is making them the the dark horse pick. Yeah, but every year they usually have people picking them. So it's I wouldn't say it's unusual. I mean, maybe I guess the volume of people picking them this year is a little bit more, but they do have an elite running back. And Adrian Martinez obviously wasn't great at Nebraska, but who knows? He had some flashes. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? If if I told you that Kansas is so I, I don't know maybe you agree with Stuart Mandel here if uh, <laughs> if Kansas is going to finish ahead of someone in the Big Twelve to me it's it's West Virginia TCU or Texas Tech it's like J T yeah. Daniels doesn't work out or I don't really know what to expect from Tech they're like the big enigma in all this like I don't think they can go to the Big Twelve title but they yeah. could be a bowl team I don't know and then TCU is kind of an enigma as well like they have some interesting pieces but if you told me one of those teams sputtered and and KU caught one of them and finished with the same record but had the head to head or finished one game better like those would be the three teams I would look at yeah I'm I'm picking TCU because okay. historically KU for whatever reason they've played TCU very very close in in recent years and if they as we were discussing earlier, if they have four or five coin flip games, the TCU game is one that I think they could win. They could actually win because they've been playing them really well for the past couple of years. They've looked really good against them in various 
various times. And that's one that I could see them going. So maybe TCU goes four and eight, or yeah, TCU goes four and eight, and KU goes four and eight, right? And they beat TCU and they beat West Virginia in conference, but maybe West Virginia is like five and seven or something. Then they're above, they're above TCU. I think that's to me that's probably the most realistic thing because yeah, I don't know about Texas Tech. Like they're obviously not a team that people are going to say, oh, well, here's a <laughs> team that's going to make a run of the Big Twelve title, but. They are. They usually are consistently yeah, solid. in the five, five and to seven, seven wins, right? Yeah, five and five, five and seven to seven and five range, right? So you can't just write them off as being a, a bottom dweller of the Big Twelve because, although again, they're not going to do anything great. They're usually a pretty decent team. <clears throat> now, that's a team that KU could potentially beat. That game is in Lubbock, though, so I don't know how much. Almost you, beat them a couple years ago in Lubbock. They and remember they they beat them. In 2019, yeah, at home, off the crazy blocked field goal that the guy fumbled, and then they kicked it again and won. Yeah, I wouldn't totally <laughs> discount it. So I mean, and okay, I guess furthermore on this question, on this line of thought is, to you, does KU with Lance Leipold now this season? I know in, in the past, over the past literally ten years, when you would look at the KU schedule preseason, and you would look at home and away games, you would immediately write off all of the away games. As else, you would say, yeah, right. no chance, right. right? Are you still doing that? Are you still doing that with with KU this season, or do you feel like they've, with Lance Leipold and maybe the more of the confidence they built up, do you feel like they have a chance in a road Big Twelve game? I do. I I actually think that Texas Tech game in Lubbock is one of their three most winnable games. They've got Texas Tech on the road, West and Virginia, West Virginia would probably West, be in the top four too. West Virginia is on the road. Texas Tech, Baylor, and Oklahoma, and K State. I'll go out on a limb. I'll say they win one Big 12 road game. I know that doesn't sound like going out on a limb, but it is for K football. So one of West Virginia, Texas Tech, those are probably the two most. I mean, Or K-State. Yeah, or K-State. Even though I think K-State is beating the brains in for KU. They were one drive away from beating K-State in Manhattan with Peyton Bender. Yeah. Uh, So I don't think it's out of their own possibility. And and it is honestly, the way KU's schedule has, has come together, it is interesting. I mean, the last three games, Texas Tech on the road. But then you get Texas at home, which Texas hasn't beat KU in five years, mm-hmm. and then at K State. So imagine, imagine a world where KU they maybe they beat Texas. I mean, they could go three and zero to end the season. They beat Texas. They beat Texas Tech on the road. Texas coming to town. That's a game where, as shocking as it sounds, KU fans are probably thinking, "Oh yeah, we're feeling pretty good about that. We got Texas at home. We beat them four times in a row. How many times in a row? And then you go. And so imagine." You beat Texas at home, okay? Mm-hmm. Imagine what that'll do for your team going into the Sunflower Showdown against K-State. All sorts Manhattan. of confidence. Exactly. Exactly. So now all of a sudden you're buying into, okay, maybe we can win that game on the road against K-State, right? Now you're looking at 3-0 and to end the season, potentially, right? Yeah. Is that that crazy? Uh, no, I, I love it. Let's you know, <laughs> let's get this rolling. If that happens, you got to get a tattoo of it, of all the final scores, because <laughs> how... How out of there it is. Um, my, my pain tolerance is not very high. <laughs> okay. I don't. I mean, listen, I, I don't. I don't have any tattoos currently, but it's not because I'm not like interested. It really mm-hmm. it comes down to I just, I'm I'm scared. Number one, I'll just I'll just go ahead and admit it. I'm scared. I don't have a high pain tolerance. But number two, I've never. There's just nothing that's really jumped out to me as being like, you know what? I that want be that one. permanently on me for the rest <laughs> of my life. I just haven't had that moment. But if KU's three and zero. And they get those three wins. I think I'd have to do it. I think I would have found something okay. that I'm like permanently. That's a verbal agreement. <laughs> We're counting it. And and it's you know it's recorded. It's on record too. 
Man, how do I come back from that? Oh, you boy. can't. He's Nick Springer, soon <sighs> to get a tattoo. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. More RCST trivia coming at you next. Two more matchups of RCST trivia today. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's Tavern, Jayhawk Trophy, and the Kansas Lottery. We have our four bowl games coming up next week. The 23rd Street Brewery Bowl, the Jayhawk Trophy Bowl, the Johnny's Tavern Bowl, and the Rock Chalk Sports Talk uh, Bowl was originally going to be it, but we got a late sponsor with Kansas Lottery, so it'll be the Kansas Lottery Bowl. We're going to have a bunch of tickets for uh, our bowl event winners for the Kansas Speedway NASCAR race coming up here in a couple weeks. So that's exciting stuff. And uh, in the Wednesday division, already clinched with Kyle Coffey, our number one team at 3-0. and But the battle for second and even the battle for third to get a uh, automatic bid to next year's trivia are both on the line here. As uh, with this one, we have Andrew Filer, uh awaiting kind of a result there to figure that one out. But our matchup in this first one is Keegan Russell and Chris Yurchek. And then we have Ryan Brown at two and two kind of sitting in the clubhouse here. So uh, how this is going to work for you guys is both of you lost to Ryan Brown. So if one of you two wins this matchup and then Kyle beats Andrew, then whichever one of you two wins will finish in third because Ryan will have the head-to-head. So you'll get the automatic bid to trivia next year, but you would not get into a bowl game. So what you two need to happen is whoever wins this matchup between you, you got to root for Andrew Filer and hope that Andrew can upset Kyle. But Kyle has made mention on social media. He said, I might rest the starters this week. I, I don't know what exactly that means. Does that mean he's going to no-show? Does that mean he's going to purposely let Andrew win? I don't know. But... um if one of you two wins and then Andrew beats Kyle, then there would be a three-way tie between whichever you two wins, Ryan Brown and Andrew Filer. And Andrew would have beaten Ryan. Ryan would have beaten whichever of you two. And then whichever of you two would have beaten Andrew. So it'd be a three-way tie and it would come down to total points. Then from there, Ryan is in the clubhouse with 59 points. Andrew has 37 Chris, you have 49. Keegan, you have 28. So, Keegan, um, I think it might be – I don't know. I, I think that you would need a perfect score. Even then, actually, I'm not sure is enough. So, Keegan, you might be maxed out at third place here. But, uh, Chris, you need a, a high-scoring week and a win. So, uh, with that being said, very complicated division here to kind of sort out between you, you guys. So, Chris, we'll start with you. You're the only team with a losing record in the RCST Trivia Top 10. You are ranked number nine. Uh, so thoughts on on this season, a, a, a tough schedule, just what hasn't gone your way? Just having fond memories of my early season success. We'll let that draw out after the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's been a fun season, still a chance to extend it, and we'll just do our best. And uh, Keegan, um, you know, for you, uh, sitting at one and two right here coming into this one, um, what are kind of your thoughts? Have you have you done extra studying, or or because of the fact that Kyle clinched the division, have you just been like, ah, you know, forget this. We're just we're going on all uh, all memory and heart today. That is correct. I did not do any extra studying. I just prepped mentally to give as much effort as possible and try to make this last game high scoring, draw it out to the end, and give the fans something to have fun with. I should also make mention to you here, Chris, which, by the way, I appreciate the RCST trivia T-shirt you're wearing. But um, I have been told, so you were obviously in, you know, in the running for the Heisman Trophy right now. And, and Keegan, you have a shot at this, too, um, because really hards go into it. Perfects go into it. Swag meter. This is all according to Scott Chasen. Go into it. 
And Chris, you were obviously in the running there. And I have been told by the Heisman Committee. Now, Justin hit his third really hard yesterday and, and had the crazy walk-off. So that could be his Heisman moment. But that they are closely watching this matchup for you and that, Chris, if you hit a perfect or you or you get a perfect or you hit it really hard, that your chances of going to New York being as part of the Heisman finalist group is, is pretty much solidified. But uh, I guess, I don't know, do both of you guys with, with the possibility of trying to win the Heisman, do you just want to answer really hards today? I'll let Keegan decide. I'm game for whatever. I know I'm not going to the playoffs. So if if, if uh, Actually, Chris no, is I need, comfortable, I need ten points to advance. Yeah. I need ten points and a win to advance. So we'll. That's fine. I'll defer to you, man. You got more on the line than I do. All right. I was only kind of kidding, but um, I don't know if you both were game for it. I might have done it anyway. Okay. Uh, with that Definitely being said, swag meter there, Derek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you might have lost some of swag. Us wanting to do it that counts. Yeah. Okay. So we'll just we'll you know wink and a nod. They wanted to do it. Scott, give him some uh, some swag points there. Okay, um, Keegan, I'm going to get it. Go ahead and give you the coin toss here. Do you want heads or tails? I'll go heads again. All right, I have my coin toss app, and it is tails. I feel like every time I've done it on the coin toss app, it's been tails. So Chris, do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I will go second, please. Okay. That means Keegan, you're up first. We'll start in the first quarter of play. These are worth three points in the easy round. Keegan, this Jayhawk corner led the country in passes defended with 28 of them as a sophomore in 2006. As a sophomore, I'm going to say Keep Tlaib. Keep Tlaib is the correct answer. And that gets you on the board with three points. Okay, Chris, for you. This 1920 Jayhawks head football coach was most notable for being a basketball coaching legend at Kansas. That would be Fog Allen. When you heard 1920s, you probably were like, "Uh uh-oh, what's about to happen here? There's a reason (laughs) it's in the easy. All right, three to three is the score. Back to you, Keegan, this for six points. Medium round of questions. Keegan, how many games did Kansas win in the 1995 season? Not feeling confident with this answer, but the number that keeps popping in my head is seven. The correct answer was 10. That was the uh, Aloha Bowl team for KU that won double-digit games. Okay, Chris, chance for the lead in the second quarter. How many games did Kansas win in 2005 in that season? Seven. Seven is the correct answer on that one. Unfortunate that that was your guess there, although I don't know. Chris might have just known that anyway. Okay. Nine to three, Chris leads it at the halftime break. Chris, you're just two points out from uh, that point total you need to surpass Ryan in case of the three-way tie. Keegan, trying to get seven points here to take the lead. In the hard round, Keegan, what KU running back owns the school record for rushing touchdowns in one season with 17 of them?
I want to say Brandon McAnderson. Is that your answer? That's my answer. The correct answer is June Henley. All right, Chris, you've got a chance to secure the victory with the correct answer here, and it would pass you for the amount of points that you need to surpass Ryan Brown in the case of a three-way tie. So this is a big one for you in the hard round. Chris, what Jayhawk owns the school record for most sacks in one season with 14 of them? Dorrance Armstrong? It is not Dorrance Armstrong. It is Ron Warner. 14 and a half of them. Okay. Ron Warner. All right. Nine to three, the score. Both of you guys with a big question right here. I mean, this is really hard for Heisman voting. It's a chance to take the lead for Keegan. For Chris, you're going to have to answer it either to, to win the game if Keegan gets it right or at least to, to get the tiebreaker on Ryan Brown in the case of a three-way tie. A lot of pressure here. Keegan, for you. After tackles began to be recorded in 1965, what Jayhawk became the first with over 150 tackles in a season, logging 155 of them in 1974? Man, I have no clue on this one, man. First one, I can think of a couple after that. Let's go... 10 seconds. Again, the only name I can think of is kind of higher up there. I'm going to go Willie Platt. The correct answer is Steve Toil. Towel. I don't know how that's pronounced. T-O-W-L-E. Correct answer there. All right, so, Chris, you have secured the win. You're going to finish 500, but you need to hit this one to surpass total points from Ryan Brown in the case of a three-way tie if Andrew can pull off the upset against Kyle. But also, if you hit this one, it would go a long way in your possible chances to win the Heisman or at least get an invite to New York. We're not actually sending you to New York. I wish we could. Okay, Chris, what Jayhawk became the first ever Jayhawk to record 200 tackles in a season, recording 206 of them in a season? Uh, I think that's got to be Willie Pless, right? It is Willie Pless. Willie Thanks Pless is the correct answer. <laughs> that is a uh, tough order of questions for Keegan there. Kind of spurned you a couple times. So, Keegan... Um, let me ask you, if you would have had the uh, the 2005 one in the medium round, would you have guessed seven is on that as well? Yes, that one I that one I for sure knew, which is probably why that seven was popping in my head. And then w for the really hard, would you have just guessed Willie Pless because it seemed like that was your process there? Yeah, he's one, even if you don't know for sure, he's one that's on a lot of those top five spots. So it's just a frequent name. Yeah, well, Chris, if you would have got I don't know, the, the reverse order of things here. Would you have got the, the Aloha Bowl one? Would you have gotten 10 wins? I would have gotten the 10 wins on the Aloha Bowl season, but uh, I wouldn't have known 
that seventies defensive player. The name's yeah. already popped out of my head. Would you have known the Steve June Cole. Henley? Would you have known the uh, June Henley one though? The most touchdowns in a season. Yes, okay. I did know that. Okay, so I, I guess if we reverse engineer it, there the final score would have been what, like sixteen to. Actually, I don't know because I, I don't know. It, it would have gotten more I difficult. Think I lost hard. One. Yeah. That would have been really weird um, with with all the reverse engineering. So Keegan, that's an unfortunate way to finish for you. Yeah, uh, the officials weren't kind yep. to you in the game. There are a couple phantom holding calls. Dollar signs. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. Well, well, Keegan, I, I know it didn't finish the way you wanted to here, but thoughts overall on on your trivia performance through the four matchups and, and thoughts on this event. Yeah. First off, I think this this was a lot of fun. Like we kind of mentioned before very different from KU basketball um, KU football there's just so many more players and coaches to, to come up with so there was still a lot of fun to kind of reflect back and I think if anything for me as a, a younger KU football fan it was kind of nice to go back and look at you know the pre-2005 era to kind of get familiar with some of that so I definitely plan on trying to do this again next year to come and, and study a little bit more and fall out next year. Have Chris, a strong offseason. Yeah. Chris, uh, at the very least, you're going to finish the season 500. And you did what you needed to surpass Ryan in total points here. Um, so you now become the biggest Andrew Filer fan to try to do what nobody else has done and, and defeat Kyle Coffey. Do you have any words of encouragement for Andrew? Um, good luck. Uh, win this one for me, Andrew. Take down the king. Someone's got to do it. Well, Chris, right. uh, do you have any, at the very least, um, I guess, persuasive words you want to give for, for why you think you should win the Heisman? Well, I think Scott's a very level-headed and handsome man, so <laughs> I think he knows knows who deserves it. All right. Well, guys, I appreciate it. Good season from both of you. Chris, we might see you next week. We'll wait and see based on our uh, next matchup here. But good work, guys, and, uh, yeah, talk to you later. Thanks, Derek. Thank you. Certainly a tough finish for Keegan with the order of the questions there. Although I guess if you, because yeah, if you would have reversed the questions, if he would have gone the the other way, then I think he would have, yeah, won 17 to 16 in that situation. But also if you wanted to view it as, well, who knew more of the questions in total, you know, between the two of them, then I guess it would be Chris. So I I don't know. It's probably a pretty even matchup. Not really indicative of a 17 to 3 finish, that's for sure. But that was big for Chris to come away with the victory there. And Ryan Brown still has the head-to-head over Chris. So right now, Ryan is still in second. But if Andrew wins and makes a three-way tie, and there's the old circle of wins against each other, then it goes to total points, and Chris would be ahead of Ryan at this point. Um, I'm trying to think. Andrew, if he had a perfect and scored 24, would get up to 61 points. So Chris is even clear of Andrew with the total points as well, which uh, means that it'll either be Chris moving on to the bowl game or it'll be Ryan moving on to the bowl game at this point in time. This is RCST Trivia brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's Tavern, Jayhawk Trophy, and the Kansas Lottery on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Second matchup of the day coming up next. So this matchup, our second final one of the Wednesday division for the regular season, we have just one of two undefeated contestants remaining. Kyle Coffey, he is our new number one. He is 3-0. He scored 56 points in regulation, 63 if you count overtime. Taking on Andrew Filer, who has gone one and two. He scored 37 points. This division has been just pure chaos and, and everybody beating up on each other. Outside of Kyle, everyone has two losses or more in the division. So uh, because of our first result, Andrew, if you win, you would move into a three-way tie for second place at two and two 
Unfortunately, though, even if you have a perfect score, your points would not add up more than what Chris has. So Chris is rooting for you because Chris needs you to win to force that three-way tie so that the tiebreaker would move into total points, and then Chris would get the bull bid. If you lose, then Ryan Brown, who is now rooting against you, would have the head-to-head over Chris, and he would get the bull bid. But if you win, Andrew... There is some incentive. You would finish third place, which would get you the automatic bid to trivia next year. You would also go out on a dub and and break up the undefeated season for Kyle here. So that would be pretty cool to say that you beat a possible champion here. Kyle, all you have to play for, you're just trying to stay undefeated. And also, you know, the seeding does matter. Do you want to get the one seed, the two seed, as opposed to, you know, being uh, one of the lower seeds in the playoff, that does matter, but also having that that perfect record next to your name, having the number one, that looks cool as well. So, Kyle, uh, I know you mentioned on social media you thought about benching the starters. Are, are you here to play? Are you here to go full bore, or are you you know, just kind of still sitting back on this one and, and maybe it's only starters for the first half? You know, uh, still to be determined. We're just going to kind of see how it goes. I like the chaos that kind of, I think it was what Monday's show kind of created a little bit there, so... You know, there was a part of me, too, that knows that this division has some chaos and has some ability to get a little bit haywire. But I'm going to focus, I think, on me and and uh, what what uh, I can do here. And, you know, we'll kind of see how it goes. I really I'll be honest. I really haven't studied much at all this week, uh, kind of understanding the situation there. So we're just going to kind of go in and wing it and see what we can do. Well, Andrew, how much of motivation is it that you could possibly, even if you can't make the playoff or anything, get a win over the number one team? Uh, I, I mean, you're going up against a guy who's, who's solid, and you've heard him the whole year. He's He's been the best. And, yeah, it'd be awesome to beat him. Uh, be kind of awesome to throw more chaos into it, I suppose, too. But uh, it's, you know, I wouldn't say it's motivation to beat the best, but but to beat the best or to be the best, you got to beat the best. Right, Rick Flair? So, I mean, you just got to get in there and do it, so. I'm just going to say this. If Andrew, you win, I think Chris owes you a beer. And if Kyle, you win, I think Ryan owes you a beer because they're both uh, rooting for you on your end. But Andrew, you also have the the added impact of, and I guess, Kyle, you're in the running for this too. Uh, both of you guys are in the, the running for the Heisman Trophy. So mm-hmm. having that be here uh, is also extra incentive to try to do well. Okay, so Andrew, I'm going to call this senior day for you, the chance to upset the number one team on senior day, kind of like, Sometimes we see Auburn do that against Alabama or whatnot. So I'll give you the coin toss here. Do you want heads or tails? Uh, do tails. Okay. It's been coming up tails a lot, but this time it is heads. Of course it is. <laughs> so, Kyle, do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I will go with what's worked for me all year, and we will go second. Okay. That means, Andrew, you're up first. And uh, we'll start in the first quarter of things in the easy round. These are worth three points. Andrew. Give me the last name of this 2014 KU quarterback who led the team in passing yards, passing touchdowns, and his first name was Michael. Cummings. That I swear that just worked out, but as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is great because uh, that was one that you missed earlier in the competition. Obviously, it was, it was harder syntax for the uh, other one. Okay, Kyle, your chance to respond with three points. Give me the last name of this 2013 quarterback who led the Jayhawks in passing yards, passing touchdowns, and his first name was Jake. Heaps. Jake Heaps didn't quite work out the way that KU would have wanted. But boy, was there a lot of hype when uh, that same week, Dane Christ and Jake Heaps 
both announced they were coming to KU. Okay, back to you, Andrew. Three to three, the score. We're into the second quarter now. These are the medium questions. They are worth six points. Andrew, uh, let me redo that. The Jayhawks had two corners drafted in the 2015 NFL draft. One was by the Philadelphia Eagles. Another was by the, at the time, Oakland Raiders. Name one of those two corners who was drafted from that team. Uh, Ja'Cory Shepard. Ja'Cory Shepard is one of them. The other one, do you want to say it for some swag points? I won't count it against you if you don't get it. No, I'm glad I remember Ja'Cory <laughs> Shepard. Uh, Dexter McDonald, the correct ah, answer there. there. That would have been swag points for the Heisman if you would have got it. Okay, Kyle. For you, trail 9-3, to three, chance to tie it at halftime. Prior to that 2015 NFL draft, the last Jayhawk drafted was what offensive tackle by the Cincinnati Bengals in the fifth round of the 2013 NFL draft? Tanner Hawkinson. Tanner Hawkinson, the right answer there. Bengals have had like an infatuation with KU players. I don't know why. Kwame Lasseter, Puka Williams, Tanner Hawkinson, um... Akeem Adeniji as well. Didn't Anthony Collins get drafted by the Bengals? I don't yep. remember. Is that true? Okay. So, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they have, like, a scout who's, like, set up, like, in Lawrence or something. All right. 9-9 nine to nine is the score into the third quarter of play. For you, Andrew, these are worth seven points. This Jayhawk running back earned the Big 8 Offensive Newcomer of the Year in 1980. What's his name? I don't know if I'm going to be able to think back that far. Um, first name that pops in, I'll, Maurice Douglas. The correct answer is Kerwin Bell. Mm, yeah. All right, Kyle, chance to uh, regain the lead here. Seven points, this is a hard question. Kyle, this Jayhawk running back earned conference player of the week for his September 13th, 1997 performance in a win over Missouri. What's his name? I think, Derek, when we first started this competition, you asked me the favorite player, and I said David Winbush. And so I'm going to go with David Winbush. Sorry, unfortunately, the moons just didn't align up perfectly on that one. The correct answer is Eric Van. And mm. a big game against Missouri. Kind of weird that they played Missouri on September 13th. Maybe that could be a trivia question later down the road. Okay, we're all tied up. Nine to nine is the score into the fourth quarter play, the really hard round. These are worth eight points and also important for the Heisman voting, which both of you guys are uh, certainly on the short list for. So, Andrew, for you, KU's head coach from 1948 to 1953 went 35 and 25. What's his name? Oh, I was looking at head coaches the other day, actually, and now I'm kind of, of course, I got looked and uh, Ten seconds. Uh, A.R. Kennedy. The correct answer is Jules Sykes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I should have told you you got it right and then said Sykes. <laughs> That would have been such a bad, bad joke. Okay, <laughs> Kyle, for you, the chance at the win and answer another really hard question and finish the regular season unbeaten. 
Kyle, KU's head coach from 1958 to 1966 went 44, 42, and 5. What's his name? Wish you asked me the Sykes one because I knew that one. Um, yeah, I, I last I looked at head coaches was like two weeks ago. Um, oh, Ten seconds. Yeah, I got nothing. Throw something out there. I got nothing. I got nothing. Jack Mitchell is the correct answer on that one. So we're tied 9-9. Nine to nine. We go into overtime. Both Ryan Brown and Chris Yurchak are on the edge of their seat at the moment. And, uh, Andrew, I gave you the first coin toss to Kyle. I'm going to give you the second coin toss. Do you want heads or tails? Let's do tails. It is heads once again. So, Andrew, you now have the option. Do you want to go first okay. in overtime or go second? Let's go second. All right, we're going to switch up the order. That means Kyle... You were up first, and uh, you've obviously been in overtime before, but you were on the other end. You had that crazy overtime game with Chris Yurchek where it was tied. He answered the medium. You went to the hard, and you got it right. Otherwise, Chris would be 3-1 and one right now, and you would have to win this to, I think, just finish in second place um, at that point. So uh, that was quite the win for you in overtime, but no need to reminisce. You now have the other choice. What do you want to answer? What category do you want to go in? Uh, I'm just trying to impress Scott Chasen here to with the Heisman uh, vote. We're going to go hard. Okay. I like it. I'll tell you this. If you answer a really hard and nail it right off the bat in overtime, I, I think it would be hard not to have you as a 10 out of 10 on the swag meter. But hard will get you maybe seven or eight or nine points on the swag meter as well. Okay. Kyle. Let's see. This Jayhawk punter was named all Big 12 honorable mention in 2009 and 2010. What's his name? Alonzo Rojas. Alonzo Rojas is correct. And just like that, Kyle has scored seven points in the first overtime. He now leads 16-9. to nine. And, Andrew, this is tough. Do you go for the really hard and the win? Do you go for the hard to try to extend it? I, you know what I'm going to do. Let's go really hard. Okay. <laughs> to the really hard we go. Kyle is awaiting because if you answer it wrong, he gets the win, finishes undefeated. Andrew, if you get this right, Chris will move on into a bull game. Otherwise, it's Ryan Brown with the opportunity. Andrew, only trailing Steven Sims and Laquiviante Gonzalez. What Jayhawk wide receiver finished third on the 2016 team in receiving yards? Man. Ah, uh, boy. There's like a couple names popping in my head, and I don't, I couldn't tell you if they Ten were seconds. in 2016 or not. Let's say, uh, Dylan Charlotte. The correct answer is Shaquem Barbell. <laughs> and that's that name why, never popped in my head if you want. That's why it was really hard. <laughs> well, that was a fun matchup. 16-9 to in overtime, the final score. Kyle, you are now 2-0 in overtime, 
and you've hit hard questions in both your overtimes. A lot of the other overtimes we've seen people stick in the medium round. I, I got to applaud you for the stones you've had so far in overtime. I, I know the, uh, you know, the first one you could have answered the medium round. That one you could have gone whatever. And I don't know, maybe the, the fact that you losing this um, wouldn't have had an impact on you. So maybe that allows you to come in with a freer mind in overtime. But uh, would you continue on with that thought process if, if you play an overtime matchup in, in the playoff year upcoming? Would you go to the hard round if you had the first choice? Uh, there would definitely be consideration. Uh, that's kind of, I feel like, where the knowledge is really deep. If you know a really hard consistently, you're kind of a psycho in my <laughs> eyes. And so, it's, uh, you know, I think the hard one, you can kind of you can kind of go through some processes there, kind of like what I did there. Like, I know, you know, Kyle Tucker was the punter. I mean, you know, he finished in 2007. I know that. Rojas was a Juco guy that they brought in. I just couldn't remember, you know, what the time frame was. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to do the hard. It's kind of a little bit challenging. Uh, I had a really tough draw with the questions today. I knew both of Andrew's, um, what was that? The hard or the yeah, the hard, bell and the and very the hard bit with the Sykes, with Sykes and Bell. I knew those two. Um, so it was a tough, but you know, we, we fought through the circumstances. We did what we needed to do. We're at the top um, as we uh, wrap up the season here and just looking forward to the playoffs and getting that one seed and uh, and getting Scott Chasen's vote. Um, he just recently followed me on Twitter uh, the other day, so I think that's uh, step one. So we're <laughs> going to go step two is today, and step three is going to win the whole thing. Well, Andrew, uh, it was a valiant effort in the end here. You can't come away with the victory. If the questions would have been different, if you would have got the Jack Mitchell one or the Eric Van one, uh, would you have been able to know those? Uh, I remember Eric Van. I probably would have gone Winbush as well, though. Um, my brain with the coaches one, Pepper Rogers and Jack Mitchell were both in my head, and who knows what I would have said. But, you know, I that's luck of the draw. The um, uh, Kerwin Bell one's tough because I I know who Kerwin Bell is I know that name I yeah so well Andrew um, do you have any any words of of what you thought about your trivia performance this year and finishing things up in in the competition as a whole uh, I really enjoyed it I I mean like I said to you earlier KU football knowledge might it's not as thorough with basketball tough. necessarily well not at all um, but it's it was a lot of fun and it's fun to get back and think about these things and look through some stuff. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, clearly I could study a few different things going forward, you know, but, you know, change the focus and mindset to uh, basketball and let's get to a final four next year and, and get out of this elite eight slump. So yeah, there you go. Well, Kyle, do you have any uh, words for, I don't know. Do you want to, do you want to talk trash to whoever your possible final four opponent's going to be? Do you, do you want to keep it civil? Uh, any thoughts about the playoff next week? Uh, I'm going to keep it pretty civil here, but I've been stewing since April when we, uh, when I lost against Ben Wilson. So I'm looking forward to that matchup to see if we can have another one here. Um, he's been obviously really good. I think we have the same points, same record. Um, so looking forward to that, but I'm just, I'm hopeful that I can get through. I was really, I got pretty lucky with that first matchup against Chris. And so, and I just kind of took that luck and ran with it. So hopefully it continues on. Well, good job, guys. And Kyle, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, fellas. See you. See you, guys. Good stuff. Good, luck. good stuff. Thanks. Kyle will be undefeated headed into. And so now it becomes interesting because um, the one thing with him only scoring the nine points and being on the wrong end of some of those questions is that 
yes, he's undefeated. He won the division. He's going to the playoff. He's going to be a top two seed. I feel very confident saying that. But the opportunity is now there for Ben because Ben had, as he was just saying, the same amount of points coming into the week as Kyle. So if they have the same record, but let's say Ben goes out there this week and, and has a perfect and he has a lot more points, Ben could get the number one and uh, you know Kyle could drop to the number two. And, and how much that matters, I don't really know, but it'll certainly be interesting with all the storylines upcoming. So fun matchup there. That means that Kyle wins the division at 4-0. That means that Ryan Brown finishes second at 2-2. Two two. Chris gets the automatic bid into next year's trivia at 2-2, two two, finishing in third place. We'll have the Thursday group coming up tomorrow. One matchup to come on Friday. This is RCST Trivia. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's Tavern, Jayhawk Trophy, and the Kansas Lottery here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We'll continue on with our college football season previews. We'll get to the Big Ten coming up here shortly. Uh, But right now it's that time on a Wednesday. We get to our KU mailbag. So some interesting questions coming my way. Uh, the first is uh, comes from me. Me. I asked myself a question here. This is more so actually to ask you, Nick. Okay. What is the dumbest rule in a fantasy football league that you've ever been in? Man, okay. I am in a 12-person league with a bunch of guys from KU, mm-hmm. and these guys are, are psychopaths. They're maniacs. I don't know if any of them <laughs> haven't listened, but these guys are crazy. I mean, we're talking hours upon hours of group me back and forth messaging on all kinds of different stuff. I'm trying to think I was trying to think when I saw this like what is the dumbest thing that we came up with? Um uh, there was like there was a bunch of rules involving pick trading. So this was not a keeper league. This is actually the first season it's a keeper league. This league's been going on for like 5 years now. I mean, I'm this is a very very competitive league. Like mm-hmm. This is it's 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 very intense. It is not for the faint of heart. We've had we've had guys drop out of the league because they just couldn't handle the intensity of this league. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't I don't know in terms of like dumbest rules we've ever had. I don't know. I mean, like I said, there's been some there's been a lot of controversies about pick trading. About mm. we I guess we used to have it to where we had a one of the old commissioners of the league. We used to have it to where he would have the commissioner would have to go in and accept each trade. Okay. And you change it to league. Yeah, we changed it to where it would just go through automatically because the commissioner was not he he was not the I don't want to flame anybody on the air, but he was he was not the most responsive <laughs> commissioner. And some of the other members of the league got upset about that. And so we actually ended up switching commissioners <laughs> because of that. But but yeah, I mean it's it's a very competitive league. It's honestly it's so competitive that I, it's the only league I'm in. I don't even have time to be in any other leagues because these guys are just crazy. So I uh, I have this one league that I'm in, which is um, it's like so it's it's like some friends of of my dad and and we're, we we kind of co-manage it or whatever. Um, I I have my main league, which is like a dynasty league and whatnot. But like this league has some of the weirdest rules uh, of leagues that like I've ever been in. Like there's. I mean, there's random, like, bonus points that go out for, like, weird things that happen if your player accomplishes X. Um, but the weirdest part of this league is, is like, they put this, like, position restriction. 
So you can only so keep in mind this is like a, a league where you have you have two starting running backs and a flex. So theoretically, you could be starting three running backs. Yeah. There's a three running back limit. You can't have more than three running backs on like your team. On your roster? On your entire roster. Oh. Not just in the starting line, on your entire roster, including the bench. Hmm. And so this creates this issue where this happened to, to us last year. We had we had two running backs on bye who were we took two running backs in the first three rounds. Both of them had the same bye week. And then our third running back who we were starting in the flex was injured that week. But he so so to start any running backs that late week, we would have had to just drop like a first round running back into well, free agency. Like what a dumb listen, rule. That's just bad managing on your part. You How is be, that bad? You can't be drafting two running backs that have the same bye week. I'll be honest, when I was drafting, they instituted this rule last year for the first time after the league had been together for at least like, we had I, been in the league for I a few wanna, years. I want to feel sorry for you, but I don't. Well, no, no, get this. So so we had been in the <laughs> league for a few years before last year, and it was never a rule. They never told anyone about it, and all of a sudden, they made it a rule. And then after the draft, like, I was I was literally in the middle of the draft, and it wouldn't let me draft another running back. And I was like, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, yeah, we decided e- to do that. Even still, you can't, you can't draft, especially if it's your top two running backs. You can't draft those guys with the same bye week. I'm sorry. I, I See, I don't care about that at all. It's like if really? I lose one week, it's like whatever. Yeah. I don't care. No, but I, that rule I, is the dumbest thing ever. I'm sorry. It is so stupid. <laughs> you, you're telling me you can't have more than, like, oh, my gosh. I, I legitimately want to leave the league because That's interesting that. because I, I pay very close attention to my bye weeks so that I can ensure that I don't care. I don't if have... I lose the bye week but I win the other weeks, it doesn't matter. Uh, see, that? I don't know. Oh, I got I to gotta, I gotta, I gotta field a solid team each week. I don't know. Give me the best player. Okay, uh, this next one from Ryan. He asks, imagine you're Lance Leipold. Kansas is 5-6 and six into the last— Well, first of all, imagining I'm Lance Leipold, I have made millions of dollars in coaching, I am uh, peacing out. I'm going to go live in Hawaii. Uh, Kansas is 5-6 and six into the last game of the season, playing at Kansas State. They're down four points with eight seconds left. Fourth and goal from the K-State seven-yard line. Everybody's healthy. Who's on the field, and what play are you calling to try to get the bowl-earning victory? I'm going with something to, I guess right <laughs> just, now, something to Devin Neal. Just anything to Devin Neal. <laughs> just something to Devin Neal. That would be my call right now because feeding into our discussion we had earlier in the show, we don't know if there's a receiver or two that you feel like you can go to in a clutch situation. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm drawing up something for Devin Neal. I mean, from the seven-yard line, fourth and goal, I mean, would it be too crazy to run like a draw? <laughs> With Jevin Neal, mm-hmm. is that too crazy? I, I mean, it might be. It might be like the defense would never expect it. So maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Um, Just something to Devin Neal. He as a like right now sitting mm-hmm. here today. This is what I would call because he's the most bona fide, proven guy. I think offensively that you can go to when you need clutch yards. Okay, so I, that's what I'm calling. I mean, I, I I understand that logic. Like you know, biggest moment of the game, best player, get him the ball, right? I would go – okay, this would be kind of cool. I don't even know if they have this this play. Whatever play you ran for Jared Casey on the two-point conversion, right? Okay. You run the start of that play, right? So you have the same formation. You do the play action. Jalen Daniels is rolling out right, except now it's a throwback to the left. So all the attention's on Jared Casey making the same play. I know it's from the seven-yard line, not the, the three-yard line, but um, that would be of interest to me. Um, I'm not really – like I, I'm fine if you want to run like a receiver fade on first and goal if you have like Julio Jones or something or Randy Moss, but like 
I'm not really a big like fade in the end zone guy. So on, on a fourth and goal where you're putting it all up to a pass that has like a 30% completion rate, but I guess that's a possibility with LJ Arnold. I don't love that. Okay, I will say I've been playing a lot of NCAA football 14. <laughs> okay. What happens whenever it gets close to college football season? Mm-hmm. In NCAA football 14, there's a play called trail shake where you have three guys in the slot or you have three you have three trips on one side of the field. The very outside guy is just runs like a go. And then your very inside guy runs like a shallow cross. And then the middle guy runs like a delayed slant. So, mm-hmm. like, the cross guy takes off. And the idea is that they kind of – people follow him a little bit. And then your in, your in-between guy runs like a delayed kind of, like, shimmy slant type thing. Maybe you run that and throw it to the middle guy. Okay. Why don't you uh, – next press conference, I want you to explain <laughs> that concept to Andy Kotelnicki. And we'll see what he like, says. Hey, man, listen. There's this play in NCAA 14. <laughs> it's called trail shake. And it always works uh-huh. against, like, against the CPU. I've never had an incompletion. I don't see what the issue is for you. <laughs> uh, this one from Jeshua. Oh, by the way, I, I'd be cool with like any trick play. But uh, this one from Jeshua. What players from the 2022 team from KU football would you pick to join the 2007 team in efforts for that team to get over the hump and win a national championship? Uh, this is kind of similar. Somebody asked the question of if you could put any players from this team onto that team, would they start? And honestly, I'm not sure there is anyone who would start. I think Kenny Logan, maybe. But even then, that team's like secondary was pretty loaded. So that's not even a guarantee. I, I do think Kenny Logan probably does, and that'd be a fun yeah, you secondary. So. Kenny Logan and Daryl Stuckey. As you yeah. These. I mean, that's yeah. pretty filthy, right? Kenny yeah. Logan, yeah. Daryl Stuckey, uh, Chris Harris, Akib Tlaib. Yeah. That's probably the answer. But, like, you could still add someone who, even if they don't start, because that's the beauty of this question, they could still help you in some way. Yeah, I think maybe maybe Lonnie Phelps, but the problem with Lonnie Phelps is like, can you confidently pick him when you haven't even seen him play yet? Mm-hmm. So I don't really, I'm not really loving that one. And then I was thinking about this: would a guy like Earl Bostic on the offensive line, like, be on there? I was trying to think about the offensive line at the time. I, I think if- I think any of those starting offensive linemen are better than any of these yeah, starting that, offensive linemen true. because the issue the, the issue you run into is any of the offensive skill position players that you have on this team. Are not going to do anything better than the guys from 07. No, in fact, they're probably going to be worse in some in most cases. No, I mean like yeah, you could add Devin Neal, but it's like BMAC ran for exactly. what 1,100, 1,200 yeah. yards. And Jake Sharp, Sharp was still really good. Exactly. So, okay, yeah, sure, gotta... like he helps, but <laughs> how much does he help? I do you. Hmm. So then you're looking at you know defense basically. You're adding yeah. defense. You can never have a, have enough pass rushers. So yeah, the Lonnie Phelps one makes sense but there. But you haven't seen him play. The linebackers were good. You have like Joe Mortensen and James Holt. So I don't know who you're going to add there. I think that's the only only one you could add. It's it's Kenny Logan. I yeah. think that's the only proper answer. Yeah. I mean, I, said, or or Lonnie Phelps maybe. Can we haven't even seen him play? Can we add Jason Bean just so he can get lessons from Kerry Meyer on how to play receiver and then bring him back to this team? <laughs> But yeah, I think I build a time machine sent back there. Yeah. I think Kenny Logan's the only answer you can have there. Yeah. Okay, this one from Frank in 2021 KU football had five quarters where they gave up 21 or more points. Some of that was failure to adjust, some was not having the talent/skill to adjust. What have they done to correct both? First I'm, of all, you have a number of transfers, new guys coming in that you uh, I think generally were banking on improving. Uh, from that standpoint, in terms of talent, at least. I mean, guys like McCaskill, Craig Young, Marvin Grant, Lonnie Phelps, who we just talked about. So from that standpoint, you look at that. And then this was actually, the more I, this question actually made me think about something, which is a lot of the discussions, and like even at the press conferences we had a couple weeks ago, 
a lot of the discussion about with Lance Leipold and Andy Kolnicki on offense was, yeah, another year of everybody in the system, another year of all the offensive guys still in the playbook and everything. But there wasn't that same discourse around Brian Borland in the defense, right? Which you would think the same logic would apply. It's a, it's another year with the other guys to kind of become more comfortable in the defensive scheme, right? So I guess if you look at it from that standpoint and you expect that there is some steps forward in terms of understanding the scheme, understanding all that stuff, plus the infusion of transfers and talent that you expect will increase, I think you'd have to look at that. Uh, unfortunately, I don't really know if, what like if there's anything right now you can tangibly point to and be like, yes, this is definitely going to be better. But I think those two things, right? But that was interesting to me. That made me think about how there was a lot of discussion with Cole Nicky about that. There was a lot of discussion with Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean about a whole year with the whole with the offensive playbook, and there wasn't really as much of that same dialogue around the defense, which you'd think again, you think it would apply similarly with Brian Bowen being into his second season. So. Again, maybe that aspect of guys being more comfortable with another year of the defensive scheme plus the talent, I guess that's your answer. Yeah, I think the biggest thing last year for me, like the the part of this was failure to adjust. I I understand where you're coming from, where sometimes it feels like you're just, you know, the, the offense is consistently like just running all over you. You're just overwhelmed. And you're just overwhelmed. I don't necessarily think that was just a, a failure to adjust, and it's like, even if you put eight in the box, like sometimes teams were still running on them. I, I think that also because the the staff took over so late, they had far from a full playbook that they were utilizing. So I think all that does matter there. I, I think a lot of it just has to do with either inexperience with the scheme or just maybe not having the talent in certain regards. So yeah, the talent completely overhauled this year. The linebacker position is so much better. I, I think between the linebacker position and front four being better this year, you should be able to I mean, they're not going to be world beaters in stopping the run, but they should be a lot better than giving up over six yards per carry. And that's part of it, too. If you're in second and four, you, I don't know. Yeah, if you're, you're handicapped. Exactly. Yeah. Like, there's only so much you can do as a defense. You can't have as much of the playbook, which was already limited last year, at your disposal. And so if you can do better on those early downs, and the talent would lead you to believe you should be able to do that, especially against the run with that overall of linebackers and everything – then you kind of open things up to do a lot better. So the defense should be better this year. How much better? I don't know, but I don't think there will be to that point as many blow-up quarters as maybe you had last season. This next one is from Rob. Without Kwame Lasseter, who can be that receiver who will get open and make the tough catch when you need a first down? I'm guessing the receiver lineup is still quite unsettled. Rob is asking the tough questions. This is a question that I think you and I both have, and I think if we – tried to pin down the some of the staff on this question, I don't know that they would have a real solid answer for it at this point. It, this is something that's still very much up in the air, and it's something And it probably discussed. will be even through the first game. Yeah, yeah, and it's something we've discussed. Is like, I mean, you got Lawrence Arnold, who you think is probably going to be number one, and then you have the question of the slot with, like, Luke Grimm. Doug Emelian was randomly getting some, mm -hmm. some hype, uh, or even the the uh, the freshman Tanaka Scott yep. was getting Quentin some, Skinner put yeah, on scholarship yeah, exactly and then and then of course even I, mean, you, I know it's not a wide receiver but you could look at the tight ends I guess maybe as sort of your go to guys when you need a tough catch like is it too cliche to say Jared Casey I mean I don't know I think again he I was think, last year when when he played exactly eight catches exactly. for one away in the last two weeks so I I think this is a, this is an excellent question and I think like I said if you were to try to to stop some of the staff in the hallway and pin them down and be like, hey, who, who's the guy? They, they, may, they probably wouldn't even be able to tell you, honestly. 
Yeah, I think that's 100% right. I think it's, hey, we have an idea that these guys, it'll be among this group, and, and we think it'll be this guy, but things are just different. Like, certain guys could go off in camp, and then some guys are just gamers. So we're probably going to have a situation where, you know, what happens in the first game is obviously going to impact that. What happens in the second game? Like, we might not truly know till a couple weeks into the season who that top guy is. I know I'm high on the idea that um, Luke Grimm, could certainly be uh, someone who becomes a consistent third down threat for you. Like, he's a guy who's known for his reliability and route running and hands and a lot of those, honestly, generalities you hear with, like, white slot receivers, right? But I I think you've seen Jalen Daniels have a really good connection with him. You look at the numbers when he has started versus he he hasn't, and Grimm's numbers have, have been a lot better with Daniels in the lineup. They just have a strong connection there. I think he's a guy he trusts. I, I actually do like that answer of Jared Casey a lot because he he definitely became kind of that guy at the end of last season for KU. I I think Douglas Emelian and Trevor Wilson, I more so view as like guys who can make people miss and make big plays, but maybe they're not the guy in the in the light that Kwame Lassiter was. I think ideally if Lawrence Arnold became that, that'd be great because he has yeah. the body for it. He has yeah. the potential that, that you'd want there. Um, but yeah, those are the, the I, I think those are the guys that look at Arnold's and um, Luke Grimm. If we're just looking at the receiver position, this one from Scott Scott Chasen specifically, who would win in a Hunger Games of the following RCST current and former former royalty? No additional inclusions allowed. So like you know we uh, former KU basketball player Scott Pollard used to be a co-host of this show. <laughs> Same with, like, Brett Ballard. Like, I don't know. I'll probably take them because they're athletic, and Scott Pollard did Survivor and stuff. But he said only these inclusions allowed. Nick Schwert, Nick Springer, myself, Brian Haney, Adam Dravetta, Cole Cedabutar. Um I think I might do all right here. I can tell you who's not going to win. Me. <laughs> there, I have no shot against these guys. Are you kidding me? I think if we were to do, like, a like an U, a UFC-style, like, mm-hmm. measurement, weigh-in, all that stuff, like, I think I would be dead last in every single one, you know, in height, weight, mm-hmm. uh, reach, everything. So I don't – I'm not confident. I mean, I think I would have to take the approach of, like, kind of let the – let everybody else take each other out and then try to opportunistically, like, come in and make something happen. But even still, I I, I don't know. I'm not confident in myself. I think – I don't know. I feel like uh, – I feel like Haney's got a pretty good chance. He's a big guy. Mm-hmm. Schwert maybe. I don't know. I think that part of the issue, though, with this question is that so part of the Hunger Games, it's not just like who's going to kill each other. It's <laughs> it's who's going to get messed up by the map or by the things they have coming in. Right. Like you yeah. think of the first Hunger Games and they have like the dogs that come in yeah. or they have like the poison gas or there stuff like, like that. There was like bees and stuff. too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like the, like the so whatever, like yellow jackets and stuff. Survival, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like from that standpoint, I don't think anybody is surviving that stuff. <laughs> But if this just comes down to hand-to-hand combat, I am dominating Nick Schwert. Um, that's the easiest of them all. Adam's think, a big dude, but he, I think you and he's Haney a softer would, spirit. You and Haney would kind of battle it out, probably. You think so? I, I think I'd do okay. I, think, I really I think do. you would do pretty well. Yeah, I think you would do pretty well. But again, well. I would definitely get messed up by, like, <laughs> like I wouldn't be smart enough to realize the like the clock one in, in Hunger Games 2, and then i get struck by lightning or something. That's oh. what would happen to me. Yeah. I, I did see, um, I think it was Kevin Flaherty, he was like, you'd be too noticeable, you're too tall. And I'm like, nobody's shooting arrows, it's fine. Well, I mean, uh, but remember, you have like the, it starts with the every, all the supplies in the middle. In so the who middle, run, Who yeah. runs the fastest? Who's going to get to the stuff the fastest? That's a good point. I'm not that fast. 
Nick Schwert might have the speed advantage on that one. <laughs> I don't know. Brian might be fast. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, this last one from Brian, not Haney, from Brian Rainey, which that sounds very similar. Uh, any idea when the national championship team will get to visit the White House? No, I'm sorry. I do not know the answer to this. But uh, Bill Self did bring it up in his, I don't even know if it was the last press conference. It's been several weeks since we've last heard from them, as you'd imagine. We're in the offseason. Um, and he actually mentioned this, that the White House is on backlog right now because of a lot of what happened with with COVID and everything. Everything's just been pushed back. And so... It's just a running list. So they are unsure when they're going to be able to go out there, which is unfortunate. And they just hope that um, it's not something where certain guys have to miss it because all the schedules are different with certain guys playing the NBA while it's ongoing. So I know they mentioned that they needed it to to be something that's scheduled soon for it to possibly happen. So but, is, it like yeah. the, is it like the White House just calls you? I don't know how that works. I th- like, do you think it's like, hello, this is the White House? <laughs> Like, I don't somebody know. called you and said, this is what? the White House. Are you, what are you doing? Are you hanging up? Yes. <laughs> like, nice one. <laughs> nice one, Dad. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't, unfortunately, have an answer to that. And I'm, honestly, like, I don't think KU has an answer to that, which is uh, a little unfortunate. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's continue our college football season previews next with the Big Ten.